All right, hey, here's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Really briefly, I want to talk to you about having a vision to become like Jesus. Having a plan to actually become like Jesus. I want to read one scripture to you out of 1 Timothy chapter 4. This is what Paul says to his protege and to us. There's so many young people here in the room. Paul would say this to you as well. He would say, don't waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Underline that. Underline that. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. Underline that. Promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. This is for us in the room. Before we maybe unpack the scripture for a moment, I want to do maybe a couple little thought experiments with you. Here's what I want you to imagine. I want you to imagine a world, I want you to imagine a world where everybody drives and there's roads and everything's pretty much like it is right now, but I want you to imagine a world where there are no stop signs, there's no lines on the road, there are no turn signals, and there's no signs that tell you what the road is you're on or what the road you're crossing might be. Think about that for a moment. No lines on the road, no stop signs, no, no turn signals, no red lights, green lights, yellow lights, no signs saying this is where you're at and this is where you could be going. What would happen? We can do participation right now. Yeah, chaos. In fact, that's the word that's in my notes. Good job. Who said chaos? Everybody, let's give this nice lady a high five from across. Boom. It'd be chaotic, right? Do we agree? It'd be chaos. It'd be chaos. People would just be doing whatever they want, right? You'd just go out on the road. You'd take your car. You would, just, you would just do whatever you wanted without any order. And then number two, because it's chaotic, because it would be more chaotic, um, it would take longer to get everywhere. Do, do we agree with that? If there's more chaos on the roads, it would actually take you longer to get to where you wanted to go, right? Okay, now number three. See if you follow me here. If it's more chaotic and it takes you longer to get somewhere, then, then it's naturally more dangerous, right? Because we're spending more times on, on dangerous roads longer, right? So without any order, we're injecting chaos into the system. And if chaos comes in, now we're injecting more time. And if time and chaos are standing next to each other, now we have danger. Do we all agree with that? Yeah, okay, another thought experiment. Um, this is maybe... This is probably not going to work, so um, maybe this is just one for me. But just imagine that there are roads and everything is normal. There's even like signals and everything's back to normal, right? Like the world is normal. But the thing that's different now is this. Imagine there's no fences anywhere. Yesterday, we were driving from Manchester down here to Nottingham. And at one point I told Paul and Steph, I said, hey, this, this feels like Kentucky. This little area we're in right now, we're just driving along the road. This feels like Kentucky. The hills were rolling and there were like these really beautiful fences. Out on one side, there were like these stone fences and on the other side, there were these wooden fences. And I'm like, this feels like Lexington. And in my state, in Lexington, that's where the horses are. That's where the horse racing is and all the thoroughbreds are there. And I'm like, man, this feels like my home state. And uh, of course, sure enough, like, on the side over here where the stone fences were, there were all these little sheep, right? 
Now imagine there's a world uh, and there's all the little sheep and there's all the cattle out wherever they're at. And let's imagine that there's maybe some other farm animals, but let's, let's just imagine there's no fences anywhere. What, what happens? Dead sheep. Dead sheep. Who, who said dead sheep? This, everybody give this man a high five. Who agrees with him? Right? Yeah, that's exactly it. Imagine that. What would happen? What would happen? Well, it would be chaos again. And, and maybe the next question is this. Why do we have fences? Why do we have fences? Well, maybe one reason we have fences if we have sheep or if we have cattle is it keeps the cattle or the sheep safe, right? It keeps them safe from the cars. But then another way of thinking might be this. It keeps the people in the cars safe from the sheep and the cattle, right? Yeah. It, it, also, allows, it also allows the farmer to care for the sheep. I guess this is the idea behind this little thought experiment. It's a word that makes most of us Westerners bristle a little bit, and it's the word constraint. This is sort of what I'm getting at this morning. Uh, I want you to know something this morning. Most of us in the room have been culturally conditioned for freedom. We've not been culturally conditioned for constraint. But in order to thrive, everyone in the room needs some boundaries in our lives. And if you don't like the word constraint, Let's just switch it out for another word, vision. Because if you have vision, if you have a goal in your life, it will require constraint. Because how many of you know, if you give your yes to something, you're giving it uh, simultaneously, you're saying no to a billion other things. Like if you really give your yes to something, you're simultaneously giving a no to a billion other things. Uh, my wife, her name is Heather. We've been married for over 22 years. I gave my yes to her so many years ago, and it's a no to literally billions of other people. Which is, that's what I tell her. I'm like, babe, I said yes to you, and I said no to like three and a half billion women. I really love you. That's how my brain works. But we have to employ constraint in the areas where we have vision. We have to employ boundaries in the areas where we have goals. And whenever we give our yes, we're really giving a no to some other things. And by the way, church, this is what it takes to being someone who ends up looking like Jesus. Now, why, do I, why am I framing all of this into this conversation about becoming like Jesus? Well, here's the goal I hope for every Christian. The goal is that we would become like the Lord, that we become like Jesus in the heart, but also in our actions. And when I'm talking about becoming like Jesus in the heart, I'm talking about having the character of Christ without gritted teeth. How many of you have ever been nice, but with gritted teeth? You know, I'm talking about moving beyond gritted teeth, but having the character of Christ and also the power and the demonstration of the Spirit to be someone who is his disciple and who has actually become like Jesus. But here's the dilemma in all of this. No one accidentally becomes like Jesus. No one falls down the stairs and then stands up and is like Jesus. It actually takes a plan. It takes a vision. It takes a goal. You have to want to, and it takes saying yes to Jesus in a way that fundamentally becomes no to lots of other things. Really great example of this from the scripture would be Daniel. How many of you all remember Daniel in the Bible, right? 
Daniel and the lion's den, all these crazy stories. Really, really quick review here of Daniel. Daniel was a Jewish boy. He was, you know, he was as Jewish as it gets, but he lived in a moment when, 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 the, when Israel was overtaken by the Babylonian Empire and he got relocated. And he didn't, he didn't just get relocated, but he got re-educated and he also got renamed. And all of this was about Babylon telling Daniel and all of his other compatriots that you're no longer Jewish, you're no longer an Israeli. This is like, this is completely about identity um, erasure, right? He gets a new name, he gets a new home, he gets a new education. But in the midst of this new place, this new name and these new thoughts and these new ways of being, Daniel remains faithful to God. And in doing so, he employs practices And when you see this, by the time we get to Daniel chapter six, like if you just go and read that sometime this week, the pressure in his life has turned up way, way high. And there's a law that's passed in the land. We won't even go into all that. But what you see in in Daniel chapter six is Daniel is able to withstand great pressure from a culture that is nothing like the one he grew up in and nothing like the one he had in his heart. But he was able to withstand it because he was a man who had practices of prayer that were placed in his life from an early age that shaped him to be something different. It was a yes that became a billion no's. Here's what I would like for us to do this morning. If we want to be like Jesus, we need to have a plan. Have any of you ever planned on being like Jesus? Here's what I would like to suggest to you this morning. I want to give you four little categories and you can, you can, you can, Take these categories or you can throw them out the window. You can alter the categories. You can make them your own. Whatever you need to do, that's totally fine. But I think we need to have some structure in order to give us some parameters to say, you know, how do I know if I'm becoming like Jesus? I I just want to give you mine. Is that okay? So if you're taking notes, you can write these down and then later you can go back and go, "Uh, these are pretty good, Adam. I'll use them. Or you could go, Adam, you know, you should have consulted me. Four categories for becoming like Jesus. These are the ones that I have in my little little prayer journal. And just so you know, I'm not much of a journaler. You know, some some of you like could write three novels every morning. Just super Christians, you know. (laughs) Here are my categories. Uh, Number one, practices. This is something I keep going back to over and over. I have a little heading that says practices. Uh, Number two, Serving. Uh, number three, this is Super Vineyard, doing the stuff. And, and my fourth category is something I call growing up. Let me just fill these out for you just a moment. Here, here's what I mean by practices. Prayer. Scripture. Silence. Solitude. And giving. So I keep in my little prayer journal a little, a, little, a little memo that says practices, and I write all these things down, scripture and prayer and silence and solitude and giving, and out beside them I say to myself, this is what it looks like for me in this season to be committed to these things. Does this make sense? I'm literally making a plan. Like when I talk about having a, a plan for prayer, I'm saying, Adam, 
Uh, you're going to be a person who looks like Jesus, so that means you're going to have to be a person who prays because Jesus was a man who prayed. And if Jesus needed to pray as the Son of God, how much more do you need to pray? Right? And you need to pray every day. So I've just put this down. I put, I'm going to be a person who prays, and I'm going to be a person who prays every day. And you know what? Sometimes I do that, and sometimes I don't, but I'm making a plan. And Scripture. Jesus knew the Scripture. Adam, you want to be like Jesus, you got to know the Bible. And so I want to have a plan for reading the Scriptures. And guys, I read the scriptures pretty much every day. You know, it's a rare occasion that I don't have some sort of plan for engaging the scriptures. Sometimes I don't get there. Almost all the time I do. And a lot of times it's really, really brief, but I have a plan. You know, silence. Uh, I need to be someone who has some time to, to not do anything, to sit simply in the presence of God. And this is my prayer when I come into the presence of God for silence. It's enough to be here with you. That'll be the only thing I say to God, and I'll just sit in, his, sit in his presence. I do this twice a week. I do this twice a week for 10 minutes. When I first started doing this, it felt like an eternity, right? It was only 10 minutes. Uh, solitude. I, I have a plan for getting out into nature and to take a big, long walk. And when I get out into nature by myself, I don't take my phone. I don't listen to a podcast. I leave it in my truck, my Toyota, and I just leave it there, my four-wheel drive, and I just walk into the woods, and here's what I do. I, I just, I think about my life. I literally just contemplate my life. I just, I, I make some space for, for God to speak to me about my life and just to consider where it is I'm going. And then giving. I have a plan for giving. Uh, does, does anyone else in this room have a plan for giving? Yeah, Jesus was a giver. He gave of himself. He he was just always giving to people who came to him. And so I want to be a giver. Like the kingdom of heaven shows up in generosity. You know, uh, I, I want to give to my church financially. There's some other things that are happening in our city that I want to give to. And I, and I want to make a plan for it. And so I write this thing down. Uh, number two, serving. The subcategories I put under serving are these. Family, church, and community. And my family... Uh, that's usually changing, like the ways in which I serve my family. There's some ways in which I serve my family which will never change. Like number one, stay married to my wife. Number two, uh, stay in love with my children. But then I want to get specific. I don't want to get be general, right? And the thing that's on my, my little list right now when it comes to my family is take my family on a quarterly getaway somewhere, you know? That's the thing that Jesus has given me to do, to serve my family. Just get them out of town and let's go do something really fun. And lately we've been going to the mountains, you know, just, just to enjoy one another. Uh, church, you know, I'm, I'm employed by the church. I'm the pastor. But then there's some other ways that you serve your church. How many of you know that you never want to become a professional Christian? Whatever you do, don't become a professional Christian. Even if you're on the payroll, like let it be something that's in your heart, right? And so I, I'm, I'm looking for ways that I can serve my church that maybe nobody knows about. Maybe there's some people at church that, that very few people know or even are looking after. And you know what? I want to I be able to find a way to, to be of service and to be of kindness and to be of generosity to them. And so I write people's names down here, especially the overlooked, right? I put that down. Okay, then number, number three under the serving category, community. And, and for me right now, serving my community means uh, coaching soccer, coach my son's little eight-year-old team, you know, we were killing it this year. Yeah, killing it. But it also means things like funding after-school programs. My wife, she teaches reading recovery, and, and she's in touch with 
the teachers who run the after-school program, and most of that is like connected to kids who are low-income and really struggling. And, and so uh, she and I want to be people who are serving in this place that's connected to the school because we want to we wanna have a voice outside of our church and into the community. But, but how many of you know that if you don't make a plan, you won't do it? And how many of you know that a lot of what Jesus would do would be like in the church, but or over half of what Jesus was doing was out in the streets? I'm like very challenged by that. Are you ever challenged by that? When you read the Gospels, it's like Jesus would just walk out the door and he would have like a miracle service. And I'm like, gosh, I want to be like Jesus. Okay, category number three, doing the stuff. Here are the the subcategories that I have underneath that. Uh, Sharing my faith. I have a goal to share my faith. Like Jesus would share stories of the kingdom everywhere he went. Uh, In fact, one of his disciples, one time they were having such a good meeting, uh, Jesus was like healing a bunch of people and he, and he was getting ready to leave and his disciples were like, hey, everybody's looking for you. And Jesus says to his disciple who was trying to keep him there because the crowds were growing, Jesus says, no, we're going to leave because I've come that we might preach to all the cities and villages. You know, just when, just when Jesus's hype session was getting really good, Jesus would leave. Why? Because he had, he'd, come to, he'd come to preach and I want to be somebody who's not just preaching from the stage, but I want to share my faith with people that I meet maybe at the grocery or at the gas station or who are hurting or at my children's school or at a soccer game. And if I don't write it down, I lose consciousness of it. Does it make sense? So this is, this is a goal. I want to be like Jesus. I want to tell people about the kingdom. Uh, number, number two, prayer for the sick. And, and when I write down prayer for the sick, I, I don't even mean praying for sick people at church. For me, that doesn't count anymore. For you, that might count now, right? And it probably should, that's fine. But people will come to me because I'm the pastor. But I wanna pray, pray for the sick just out in my everyday life. And so I write it down because so much of what Jesus did was happening outside of the church. And then number three, I just write down spiritual gifts. And by that, I mean, is my hunger for the spirit of God, is it, is it, is it remaining intact? Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse one, eagerly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. And I, 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 that, that, that scripture provokes me because Paul is saying like, this is something you should hunger and thirst for. And, and so I write that down, like spiritual gifts. First uh, Corinthians chapter 14, verse one, Adam, Adam, are you hungry that the spirit of God might be moving through you and moving through the people who are around you? And so I put that down. Why do I do that? Because Jesus is full of spiritual gifts. Like he would just give people prophetic words. They had no idea who he is and he would just tell them the secrets of their heart. Remember John chapter four, woman at the well? Like Jesus knew things, didn't he? It's amazing. Okay, then number four category, big category here, growing up. And here's what I mean by growing up. I mean, I mean like emotional maturity. How many of you, how many of you know that you, can, that you can grow older chronologically, but you can stay stunted emotionally? Anybody ever met a 50-year-old person who was still like 13? It's very unattractive. (laughs) I mean, growing up emotionally. And so my subcategories under that are just emotional maturity. Like Adam, Jesus was an emotional mature person. He he could handle people and he could be be good to himself and good to other people. And so am I I learning how to grow up? Maybe maybe I need to have a season of, of... of counseling, or maybe I need to unpack some of my childhood trauma. And I just want to say this again, because it's been a little bit of a theme this weekend. If you have childhood trauma, you got to unpack it somewhere, because whatever we don't get healed would pass on. It leaks, right? 
Uh, the, the second category under growing up I have is just healthy relationships. And when I write down healthy relationships, part of what I'm doing when I review that is I'm just thinking about all the relationships in my orbit and I'm going, is there anybody I'm out of kilter with? Do I need to fix anything? Jesus would say things like this. Hey, if you're on your way to worship and you remember that your brother has something against you, you should not go to worship and you should go to your brother. Hello. Wow, that's a challenging word, isn't it? And so what I want to do is I want to have some sort, of, some sort of a way to review my life and say, man, am I living in healthy relationship with people? Because Jesus lived healthy relationships with, with people. And then my third category under growing up is this, learning how to process conflict. Learning how to process conflict. Um, Jesus did conflict, and he did it all the time, you know? Some of us are conflict avoiders. Uh, some of us uh, on the other side of the spectrum are like moving toward conflict in a way that, that maybe looks strong, but it never brings about resolution. But Jesus had lots of conflict in his life, and it didn't destroy him, and he was always reaching out that people might be made whole. I want to learn how to process conflict like Jesus did. I, I want to live with a yes to Jesus that, that has a resolve to it and isn't bent by culture. And sometimes that might mean there's some, some conflict in my life. And I want to be able to move through that with the love of God without becoming a destroyed person, but also without destroying other people. Does this make sense? Yeah. I want to grow up. So what am I trying to say to you this morning? I want to be like Jesus and we need a plan and those are some categories, and I would encourage you to write those down. Maybe review your life and go, hey, how can I plan in my life? Okay, why do we need to do this? I'm going to go back to why just for a moment. Because any big project requires a plan. If you want to run a marathon, you better have a race plan. My brother-in-law tricked me the other day. He tricked me into signing up for a 20K trail run. It's happening in May, I think. And as soon as I signed up for that race, I got online and I, I downloaded a race plan. And I thought, my goodness, I have to run for 10 weeks before we run this race. And this is, this is me not even trying to win the race. I'm just trying to finish the race. You know, this race has like 3,000 feet of elevation over, over 20K. It's going to be hard, you know. But before I go to that race, I've downloaded a plan and I'm going to begin to employ that plan come March. Any big project, I'm doing it now. <laughs> Right now, right now, I'm just going to ride my mountain bike and go to the gym a little bit. But come March, I'm going to start running. Follow me on Instagram. You'll see that it happens. Every big project requires a plan. If you want to be a doctor, there's a plan for that. And aren't you glad? Aren't you glad when you go to the doctor that they've been vetted? Aren't you glad that they've been run through a plan? Right? If you want to become a plumber or electrician, you have to go to school. You have to become an apprentice, take a test. That's why some people love the military. There's a plan. There's some sort of a path for upward mobility. Anyone who's ever coached anything knows the importance of a plan. Uh, if, you want to, if you want to get healthy, you're going to need a plan. If you want to learn how to cook well, you have to follow a recipe, which is just a plan. A few years ago, I was listening to this chef guy. His name is Thomas Keller. He's kind of a chefy chef guy. That's what my wife and I do. We watch cooking shows. This is what you have to look forward to when you turn into your mid-40s. You're going to sit at home with your wife on the couch. You're going to watch people cook, and you'll be enthralled. <laughs> but I was watching Thomas Keller, and in an off comment, he said, any cook who's worth his weight 
can roast a chicken. And when I heard him say that, something clicked inside of me and I was like, challenge accepted. <laughs> so I went and bought a whole chicken and I roasted it and it was horrible. <laughs> so I spent every single Monday night for a year and I roasted a chicken, 52 weeks in a row. Can I tell you, I can roast a chicken now. Get a plan. Not only do you need to get a plan, but you need to write it down. And here's why writing it down matters. Because it just helps organize our thoughts. It helps us see where our holes are. It helps us see what we're missing. Like if you write it down, you could even share your plan with a friend and go, hey, here's my plan for following Jesus. Is there anything in here you think is missing? You know, if you have it written down, you, your friend could look at it and go, I don't know. You didn't put any scripture in there. It's weird. Uh, number two, writing it down has a way of concretizing it. Naming it makes it firmer. It's not magic, it just moves things from goals into practices. It forces us to be specific. Uh, number three, what we name, we are responsible for. This is, why, this is why writing it down is actually really important. Anything you name, you're responsible for it. Okay, uh, remember that weird, really weird moment in Genesis where God is with Adam and he's like, hey Adam, I want you to name all the animals. Isn't that a weird story? You're like, why is this even in the Bible? Like, Adam's just running around going, monkey, platypus, you know? <laughs> Have you ever seen a platypus? <laughs> they look fake. They literally do. I saw one at a zoo one time and I thought, this is an animatronic. <laughs> and here's what that story's about. That story is about this. Whatever you name, you're responsible for. Isn't this true? How many of you have ever gotten a puppy before? You're like, oh, great, I have a puppy. What's his name? Oh, his name is Brownie. As soon as you named him, who has to feed him? You do, right? And, and then when you get a little bit older and you have children, and you name them, <laughs> right? Whatever you name, you're responsible for. And when we have this goal of being conformed to the image of Jesus, when we make a plan and when we write it down, part of what we're saying is, I'm going to engage my will towards matching the will of the Holy Spirit that, as Paul says in in Romans 8, that I would be conformed to the image of his son. I'm taking responsibility for it. And then number four, here's why we write it down. It's just a good reference for later. We could come back in six months and go, you know, hey, I have really learned how to become a person of prayer. I've learned how to, I've learned how to share my faith a little bit, but you know what? I still haven't hit my goals for giving or serving my community maybe in a way that I wanted to. Does this make sense? Yeah, we can just come back for it. Okay, all right, what, what, about, what about if this feels overwhelming? Because I gave you like all those categories and they had subcategories and some of us in the room are like, oh my gosh, I'm not gonna have any free time. I'm just gonna be like running around from one like Jesus moment to the next and that sounds great, but I don't know what about going to the grocery and, and doing normal life. Okay, number one, this is, this is not meant to be overwhelming. This is simply an invitation, right? This is simply an invitation. God's not petty. He's not looking to take account of every single second of your day. This is just an invitation to get a worldview and a way and a path started for us. Uh, number two, 
Uh, if this feels overwhelming, process this with a pastor or a friend. Get a spiritual friend or a pastor and just begin to process this with your life. And then, and then also this, uh, make your plan for following Jesus. Make it as simple or as thorough as you want. Like mine has four parts with subcategories. Maybe yours is just like one part. That's okay. Get a plan. Write it down. Process it with someone else. Make some forward motion. Here's why we want to do this. Because as John and Debbie were saying this morning, there are powerful forces at work in the world. Here's what I mean by that. All of us in the room, we're always being formed, whether we know it or not. Everyone here is being formed by something. The algorithms are forming me. Uh, the news media is forming me. The culture in which I live is forming me. There are stories around me all the time that I have no idea about, and I have no ideas in which the ways that I'm engaging with them, and it's hard for me to perceive the ways in which they're shaping my thoughts, my feelings, and ultimately my actions. We said this yesterday afternoon, but it is so true. Instagram knows you better than you know you. Instagram knows me better than I know me. The robots are winning. This is why we need a plan to follow Jesus. We need to have a vision and a goal and a plan and some friends to follow Jesus because people are letting go of institutions. People are letting go of ideas. People are letting go of values that have brought us here. And we are, we are rushing headlong into a culture that is post, postmodern. We are, heading, we are heading headlong into a culture that is really, really centered on you do your truth and I'll do my truth. And I'm telling you, the only way to, re to, to resist these kinds of forces is to have a plan to follow the Son of God. That is the only way to do it, to take seriously our discipleship, to say, you know what, more than anything else, by the time that I become an adult, I am going to be someone who is bending in the heart and in the soul to become like Jesus Christ. This is what we need. So here's what I would love to do this morning. I would love it if, if maybe John and Debbie would come and help me do a little ministry this morning and help us pray that God might encourage us in this, in this moment to, to be people who look like Jesus. Yeah, amen.